BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Attention, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Broadcasting from the rock and roll bomb shelter. Surrounded by radioactive biscuits and the world famous rock cops. Located 40 feet beneath the radio station. It's the Big Fat American, American Rock Show with your host, the Doc of Rock, the Professor, everyone's favorite mad music magician, Crazy Uncle, and your best friend in the whole wide world, Zach Martin. New HD, NewHD.com, where rock lives. It is the Big Fat American Podcast. I'm Zach Martin with Michael Domino, who is a very interesting character. We've never had a movie type. Uh, person a, a uh a, an actor director a producer as one of our guests it's usually a rock and roller and we go down how they did lots of drugs and they're still alive and you know that, that kind of stuff but michael it's it's a sincere pleasure to have you join us on the big fat american rock show the thank you zach it's a pleasure to be here i'm honored now um we have a mutual friend, your PR guy, David, and he just starts telling me about this guy, Michael Domino. And uh, all I got out of the conversation, yeah, he's got this movie, it's coming out or is out, and it's got something to do with the Bronx. And I'm like, oh, wow, that sounds very dangerous. We got to get Michael on right away. You mentioned the Bronx, the South Bronx of New York City, uh, which is over by Yankee Stadium, right? Pretty close yes. to Yankee Stadium. Yes. I know two things. I'm like, you're most likely a Yankees fan and you're a glutton for punishment. So (laughs) (laughs) tell us uh, about your background, Michael. Okay. Well, I was born in Huntington Station, Long Island. I'm sorry. I was born in Flushing, New York at the Salvation Army Hospital. (laughs) And then when I was uh, two two years old, my family moved out to Huntington Station and my father joined the ranks of the commuters from the suburbs back into the city where he worked. He was in, in business, in the graphic arts business, worked for a company called Berkey. They, they had their headquarters on 13th Street, but he was in charge of the operation in, in um, uh, Woodside and uh, took me and my brother uh, to work quite, quite frequently. Um, I graduated, went to Walt Whitman High School here in, Hun- in Huntington and um, went to Oswego State University where I met my wife, Betty. Um, we have three uh, wonderful daughters and four beautiful grandchildren, and, uh, and that's that's the, those are, that's the the basics. So what did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea, really. I was kind of an I was a knock around guy, you know. I before I graduated from Oswego, uh, 
I had been at three other uh, universities, um, Suffolk Community College, Stony Brook, a place called Morrisville. Uh, what I latched onto in Oswego, however, I was actually became sort of a, um, a, a guinea pig for a new department that they were uh, uh, trying people out on and it had to do with plastics. So what, one, the other courses that we studied were graphic arts, metalworking, woodworking, design, drafting. And they, they said uh, one day, we have a new course. It's about plastics technology. Um, and I was going to the school with my friend Jeff Graziano, who was a little more forward than I was. And when they asked for volunteers, he raised my hand. <laughs> he raised my hand. I couldn't get it down. And so that began my uh, – <laughs> he's strong. I couldn't get it down. I don't want to do this. This is new. Yeah, and is he doing it? He did it too. Oh, good. He did All it right. too, but well, he went into he... another direction. Yeah, okay, good. That's, that's His family good was in the ice cream business, so he went there. Really? Yeah. Not not a bad idea. <laughs> owning owning an ice cream stand or having, uh, you know, being in the ice cream business or garbage man are two great choices in life. I don't know why I didn't go down either of those paths. <laughs> I kick myself in the butt every time I see the garbage truck passing by. I think, you know, I'd be retired by now living on that pension. Yes, uh, yes, but anyway, yes. so uh, along the way, you decide that you want to become, I guess, involved in the movie making business, as they say, and, and you become a, a director. And I think that uh, one of your credits is the expenditures. Am I right about that? Yeah. yeah the um, it, it was a gradual evolution. It wasn't an overnight, you know, flick of the switch. I, I did it in a way that was, uh, I started with uh, um, just roaming around. I like to roam around the city. I call it bumming around. And I would just uh, uh, take pictures. Uh, and one day I was out, I might have actually been on the Bowery, and um, my camera stopped working. But I, I was capturing images, and, and I, but I, I couldn't photograph them. So I began, I went home, and I wrote what I saw in the form of small poems, like like Bukowski-esque. Um, they didn't rhyme, you know, they, they, I didn't use capitals or any punctuation, uh, and, and I began to record. So I would go out on purpose without my camera so I could begin writing poetry. And then the, the poems um, led uh, into short stories, memoirs, uh, some novellas, and then, into, then back into film. When uh, YouTube came about, I began making uh, short films, music videos. Uh, I went to visit uh, Vietnam with my cousin who was a soldier there. And we collaborated on a book and a 19-minute um, movie. And I just kept, you know, ratcheting it up. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's an amazing story. I mean, it's just like... Did you feel like it was just, it, it grew upon you out of nowhere? Like it was it a bit of serendipity? And then you thought to yourself, you know, I don't have to worry about punctuation or capitalization. If I model after E.E. E. Cummings, I can get away with a lot in literature class, right? Yes. That's what us kids do. Like, well, E.E. E. Cummings doesn't yeah. use it. And you get, you know, I, you, yeah, right, I, right. I, I mean, did. Just I, a sidebar. I don't want to worry about it. I wanted to freely associate. Exactly. So uh, did you ever use the E.E. E. Cummings excuse when some teacher would take off for grammar and punctuation growing up? Because I did. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I were, I, my writing began really uh, in earnest when I was more like toward close to 40 years old. So I was already okay. at the, the teachers behind me. So I really and I had this business 
and this was more like my my uh, hobby, my interest, my my passion. And if you, if someone didn't like it or wanted to call me out on certain things, I would politely listen and just keep doing what I felt was natural. So take us how you end up being involved in the expenditures. What is the, the movie oh, about? The, the expediter. The expediters. Oh, yes. You know what? Glasses aren't working. You can uh, blame it on E. Cummings. There's nothing oh. capitalized here. All right. This is this is an interesting story. Uh, my friend um, uh, Robert Maladnich. He's a um, that's a Yugoslavian name. We grew up yeah, together. No kidding. Hun- I'm sorry. What? I said no kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we grew up together in Huntington, and we're always good friends. We were always going to the movies together and uh, fiddling around. So. Um, uh, he called me one day and he was covering a trial at Riverhead oh. uh, Courthouse. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was actually a pretty uh, a brutal crime. A, a young man had cut his father's head off with a samurai sword. And we, we got there for the, um, the last day, the sentencing. And this, this, this kid got like 25 to life. And, and Bob could see that how like I was like drooling. You know, I was like this. It was new to me. He... He, being a retired cop, was used to being in a courtroom and hearing about horrible, terrible crimes. To me, it was like my, I'm, you know, I'm in the plastics business. This is a whole other world for me. So at lunch, he challenged me. He said, why don't you write a 700-page story about what you saw today and send it to me? And I did. And he, and he told me it was good. He has four published true crime books. And he told me it was good, and he encouraged me to keep going and, and going and going. And then um, I, I uh, wrote about my experiences, my father taking us to work so much. I was like, you know, I was like a 20-year-old person, and my best friends were all like 50-year, my father's friends at work. And right. uh, some of them were hard drinkers and uh, veterans of World War II. And so I, I wrote the story about my experiences I had gotten into a little bit of trouble, you know, a teenage trouble. And my father felt that the best way to uh, uh, handle that was to take me to work and put me under the under the wing of a uh, of a former um, World War II uh, Marine Corps sergeant. Yep, His name was idea. Jack. Yeah, we, we call him Jake Cutter in the movie. And uh, it turns out that he was a bigger drinker than I was. And so I didn't mind, I didn't mind, ha- you know, palling around with Jack and he would take me to, uh, after work to, um, visit a lot of his friends, uh, including, uh, the actor, Jack Palance, um, uh, who else, uh, Whitey Ford. Huh. He hung out at this place called Billy's, uh, on, uh, 47th, West 47th street. So to, to make a long story short, um, I wrote about the, the, this coming of age experience that I had being placed under the wing of uh, Jake Cutter. And when I wrote that story, we went to a place called Sam's in um, Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. And there were a bunch of other, uh, Bob and some of his other writer friends were there. Once again, I felt out of my element. And uh, the day before I had written the expediter and sent it to Bob and he thought it was wonderful. And we had, one of the writers there was, he was, he kept interrupting saying that everything that's, that has been written has already been written. There's no such thing as a um, original story. And I looked to Bob and I was like, is that true? Then why am I, why am I doing this? You know? 
<laughs> why, why, why do it if everything's already been written? He said, don't believe, don't listen to him. No, don't that's, it's, him. that's utter nonsense. And I can tell you this firsthand. I also wrote a true crime uh, novel and it was based on a true story in which I was involved in the whole case. It's called Death Angel, and it's about Charles Cullen, who mm. was a serial killer nurse in New Jersey, who ended up murdering my mom right in front of me. Oh, my gosh. So you tell me, is there any other books written that are like that? No, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, so that's just the most, you know, I would say intellectual, intellectually dishonest assessment of of writing overall. There's always yeah. a new perspective, always a new way of looking at it, and and even you can go back in history and maybe rewrite some of it, some of it from the loser side, right? You know, they always say the winners write history. But right. What was it like for the loser side? So, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I agree with your friend who said, no, don't even pay attention to him. So right. So the expediters, what is the, the, the summary? So it's based on this, you know, encounter you have at Riverhead courthouse, uh, this kid who, brutally murders his dad with a samurai sword, which I kind of remember that one. Mm -hmm. He gets 25 years to life, which uh, if you're outside of New York, you don't understand how that sentence is even possible. But at the time, penal law and criminal law, you can never be, unless you murder a cop in, in, in the city of New York or the state of New York, it's never murder one, it's always murder two. And that has always been the, the sentence. I think they might've revised it, but it's 25 to life. That's what David Mark, Mark David Chapman has for killing John Lennon, he will mm -hmm. never see the light of day mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. So, mm -hmm. you know, this kid that, that did this crime to his dad, is he still behind bars as far as you know? I don't know. I haven't followed up. I could ask Bob. He, yeah, he, he, could, he could look him up. All right. So, so tell us a little bit about the expediters and how it turns into a movie. Okay. So um, I wrote the book and I had the backing of my best friend and a, and a great writer already published. Um, and and I just had I guess uh, I just had something in my in my DNA or whatever maybe it was just uh, working you know being going to work in the graphic arts or just just the artistic part of me felt that that was a uh, the next challenge you know the next the next thing I wanted to do and so I I, I had actually five scripts made um, and uh, the first one I made and I had other people help me and uh, but I ended up pretty much making the story primarily based on my script. And it, it, it chronicles, it's just basically, it's autobiographical uh, about myself. And it's a coming of age story about, you know, a guy who, you know, gets off to kind of a wrong start, you know, lacks direction and um, motivation and is taken into this, uh, I call it world of men. Right. And, 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 and here he finds he sees he sees the the uh, the grown up world through it's told through the eyes of a 19 year old where um, especially Jake Cutter, you know, he has to uh, young young Michael Roman in the story has to choose for himself which which um, aspects of Jake's personality does he want to take. And which ones does he want to leave? Uh, obviously, he wants to leave the drinking behind. He wants to leave the carousing, the womanizing, and he, but he wants to take the uh, work ethic and the um, honor that he showed, dedication, and um, and not have any fun whatsoever. <laughs> right. I was too hard on myself, I guess. Now, um, I, I can relate to the 
I, I bemoan the fact that these World War II guys are no longer around. These are the generation of, of men that raised us. Uh, if you're born in the early 60s specifically, these are your dads, your uncles, you know, the, the guys that you would look up to, the, the tough guys. Yeah. And their attitude was like, look, <laughs> you think you got problems, you should have been there in Omaha Beach. Exactly. You think you got problems, try Okinawa, my friend. Mm -hmm. You think you got problems, try the Battle of the Bulge. Right. Uh, you know, uh, where you see guys on fire with flamethrowers. Those are problems. You yeah. Know? Um, so I, I have, I've, I've always been able to latch on, much like that character, latch on to those work <laughs> ethics and, you know, the, 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 the type of, of what it means to be a man, those good parts. And you try to, like you, you said, sift out the bad parts. Having said that, Michael, I, I don't know how you feel, but I find myself almost as a relic of the past because now I expect people to act a certain way. And now when I'm working with a lot of younger people, I just see like, whoa, I, what the hell's going on here? You have yeah. no idea what work is. You don't understand work ethic. You, mm -hmm. I mean, you'll find kids. My daughter knows better, but mm -hmm. you'll find some of these younger people that actually get it. But by and large, it's just like uh, people think that they are entitled. Mm -hmm. They think that everybody wins. They think right. that, you know, you know, my wife, my, my life has to be like the Kardashians and I have to have mm -hmm. this... I always, it's the real world complex yeah. brought upon by MTV yes. where they've really, they've actually corrupted a whole generation about this real world mm. where they live in a really nice place and they're really good looking and they mm. don't have a real weight problem or a real, any of this problem or that problem. And they're having a really good time, but you know what they all have in common? Nobody has a real job. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you don't get any of that without working. Yeah. <laughs> So this brings up to, you know, your, I guess you would say the follow-up to the expediters. Now you have Mott Haven, Cash for the Keys, yeah, um, which is a story about the South Bronx. So what, what, what got you interested in telling the story about the South Bronx? Okay, well, it actually began, um, we were going to do it in Harlem. And um, uh, I was, we were driving around location scouting, Bob and myself, and uh, he he was assigned. He worked in the precinct, the Harlem precinct, and then he he was transferred to the um, Washington Heights precinct, which during the height of the crack wars, which was legitimately a really like a like a real war. Yeah, it was bad. The stories yeah. he tells me reminds me of the stories my cousin tells me about Vietnam. And then he he spent his finally his final his uh, final years were in the Bronx in the South Bronx, and so I said, hey. Why don't we take a drive up to the Bronx? Could you show me around? Show me your old precinct. Not even thinking about the film at this point in time. We were looking to take a break. So we drove up there. He showed me the precinct house. He showed me some stash house where they found $200,000 in the wall and cocaine and all these things. And then we stopped for lunch. We stopped for lunch. We got a, a hot dog or something like that, a gyro sandwich. We were sitting on a bench in a park. And I looked around and I said, why don't we do it here? Why don't we do our story, which we at that point in time was called Radio Man. We didn't, it wasn't even called Mott Haven. And he looked at me and he was like, absolutely, let's do it here. You know, everyone's making movies in Manhattan. Let's be different. Let's, let's do it in the Bronx, you know, and we're looking around and the, and, and so that, that's really how the selection was made. And Robert Davi of Die Hard is involved in this? Yes. Yeah. All right. So how did that happen? 
Yeah. Um, we, we, um, the expediter had won a, um, got selected to the, um, Buffalo film festival. And so we all went up to Buffalo, uh, to show our movie and hopefully win something. And, uh, the big, the big thing at the festival was that this actor was going to come arrive in a helicopter. Whoa. And, and I knew the name vaguely. It's either Robert Davi is you either know his face or you know his name, usually not both, unless you, you know, become friends with him as I have. So I'm watching the helicopter, it circles around the parking lot, it lands, and Robert Davi pops out. And I said, of course, I know him, the Goonies, uh, Die Hard, <laughs> 007. He has this face, this ruddy complexion. And so he, he, I just kept my eye on him. And, and as he walked by me, I said, to Bob, I was like, that's Hal Stewart. That's our guy. That's Radio Man. And um, so I made sure at the Q&A that I asked a question. I, I asked any question. I, I, I think the question was, you know, why do you think it is that so many people from Long Island, you know, are, move up, move, become success in the entertainment business? I asked him that question. And he said, because this, this city is looming there. You know, it's like you could almost touch it. But, but it's so far away to, to, to young minds. Mm-hmm. And then um, turns out that he was staying at the Sheridan where we were staying in Niagara Falls. And he, uh, he, was, he bolted past me. There was a revolving door. I got up without even thinking, and I followed him through the door. <laughs> and he was waiting for his ride. And I approached him. And I said, hello, uh, Robert. Uh, do you remember me? I asked you a question last night. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I remember you, the guy from Long Island. And I said, okay, so fine. So I said, listen, we're making a movie, and uh, we have this character, Hal Stewart. Well, what's, what's the movie about? I, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's about, it's kind of like a, a modern-day Western where people in the South Bronx, like, get together to fight the forces of evil, the white hats versus the black hats. He goes, I like the idea. I like the idea. Send me the script. We don't have a script yet. Can I send you a treatment? So when I got back home and he got back home, he lives in L.A., I sent him the treatment and he said, I want to be this guy, Hal. I want to be in this movie. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what is the radio man? What is this well, character, Hal? Okay, Hal is a... Um, who is he? Yeah. He, who he is in the movie is a, um, a former radio uh, mogul who has fallen from... Uh, <laughs> you yeah you're just cutting a little too close to home okay all right you know i understand the i think i go know where this is going but yes continue so he um you know it was a uh riches to rag story yeah um, that's how it goes yep and he was spending his days you know whiling away his time on a park bench in the bronx yep. yep. trying to find peace you know wanted to he's he had already sort of made the transition to peace of mind you know, okay. peace of mind, and that was his 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 uh, his, his primary um, his his most valuable possession was his peace of mind. And along comes this stressed out businessman who who meets him on the park bench, and he's this Mike Roman is at a point in his career where he's still you know insane, you know, unmanageable a life of unmanageability, including drinking and too much stress from work, grandiosity. He just grew his business beyond his own means and he can't delegate. And he's really walking the edge. Hmm. And, and Radio Man 
Hal Stewart, Robert Davi begins to sort of mentor him in, 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 a, in a tough way. I get it. So the characters think who they are is what they do, only to find out that that's the farthest from the truth and they discover who they are during this movie. That's fantastic. It, that's all we're going to say about Mott Haven. Exactly. But you got you, you, right, I, I you got encapsulated it perfectly. I, I would say this, that anytime you have like a, a you know, a riches to rags radio guy and you want a character that really fits the profile, that would be me. Okay. Okay. So I could probably play this with my eyes closed, sitting on the park bench, going to Hal. I'm like, yeah, okay, Hal, it'll work out this time. I'm sure it will, you know. <laughs> Uh, now you have you have another uh, project that's uh, I guess on the back burner or in development. It's called uh, Camp Hero. Right. So right. what I like about the fact is you're not happy with just one. You're not happy with just two. You're already working on the third. Uh, what's where's that in development? Where's that going? Okay, that's that's in the book form right now. Um, we were intending to make that into our next film. But when COVID came around and then um, we, we couldn't do it last year, so we didn't make any movie last year at all. Um, so but what I did was, you know, when I when I begin to write what I, what I first what I need to do, I actually began that uh, Camp Hero as a uh, screenplay. But the first cut, the first uh, cut of the screenplay had tremendous amount of um, uh, exposition, exposition, exposition. Uh, describing scene world building because I didn't, I had to build the world and then insert the characters into it. So, so, you know, in, in a screenplay, you want to say as little as possible when it comes to the descript of the descriptive part of the, of the, of the, of the screenplay. Like, you know, he gets up and walks to the bench, you know, that's all you need to say. You don't need to say, and the bench was surrounded by the most beautiful oak trees across from the dog park, you know, where the man whiles away his days. But that's what I did on the first cut. So in between projects and COVID and feeling restless, I, I, I picked up the script and I said, you know, this, this is not far from a, from a book. This is just the, way, the way I wrote this. So I, so I, uh, I, I contacted an editor, a really brilliant writer. Her name is um, uh, Carol Weber, Carol Ruth Weber. And I asked her if she would take this uh, screenplay and edit it into the into a book form, into a novel or novella, and she did. And it uh, it reads, you know, reads like a, a great novel. I mean, I think anyway. Well, the important thing is you must love what you do, and you got to love your work. Otherwise, nobody else is going to love it, or you know, want any part of it. So you got to have that passion there. So it's looking nice forward food, to, it really is. Yeah. Looking, looking forward to camp hero. I, I, and as I was thinking about COVID-19 and what we've all had to endure on, on many different levels, the, the one thing that always aggravated me, we're all in on this together. I'm like, no, that's the farthest thing from the truth. We're not in on this together. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's suffering is equal. Okay. Not everybody has, you know, the ability to, you know, do well through all out all of this. But what I did, and this is, you know, a great conversation to have just in general for people who are listening, Michael Domino, Zach Martin, Big Fat American podcast, the rags to riches, riches to rags story of uh, my radio life. Uh, that is, uh, you know, I guess demonstrated by Hal on the park bench in the South Bronx, Fort Apache, right? With yeah. your friends. Uh, yeah, the 42nd precinct. Yeah. Right. Um, I looked at this home arrest and confinement 
as I felt like I was in Hogan's Heroes. Mm. And now you've left too much time for me to think, maneuver, and come up with schemes. And that's the whole basis of Hogan's heroes. They purposely stay in the camp that they could easily break out with, that's break out of, because they're trying to disrupt everything around them. Yeah. So I, I looked at the whole COVID-19 as an opportunity to really stretch, push, and find new ways of expression and new projects and to really make the most of it. So mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I think we relate in many ways. It seems like we, you know, not even knowing each other the first time we're talking, yeah. we have a lot of a similar background, sim- similar upbringing. Yes. Besides all of that, and I and I and I do like the fact that you know you're you're finding ways to express yourself, and create books and movies and all that stuff. You're also got a, a recycling business, yeah, which I think is one of the most fascinating businesses yeah. and such a moneymaker on so many levels. People have no idea that mm-hmm. you know, somebody else's garbage is your treasure. Right. And then, and also in all of this, you were able to get the most out of your friendship with Robert by having him do this really cool PSA about recycling. So I I just wanted you to like, take us to, you know, how did that conversation take place? You're on a park bench during a a filming break and go, Hey Rob, you know what? (laughs) I got this recycling business over here. I see all this garbage. Let's do a PSA. You know, how did that happen? Uh, Well, with respect to the film, um, I, I had actually struggle to work the recycling narrative you know, into the into the movie. Um, it was just a, a push and pull with the other artists. It's only because it was such a foreign world. But but I, I believe that movies should not only entertain, but they should teach. I, I like movies when I walk out, I feel like I've been enriched, either, you know, intellectually, somehow challenged. Yeah, and, you should get um, the moral of the story. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I can give you an example of a movie that actually has a, a moral to the story. That's really uh, got a lot of depth to it, even though you don't think so on the surface. Tommy Boy. Jo- Tommy has there Boy. ever been a better movie that tells you how to sell than Tommy Boy? No, I don't think so. I think that that when you have new salesmen sit yeah. in the room, let them watch Tommy Boy. Yes. Go, this is the art of the deal. This is <laughs> right. the true art of the deal. Not yeah. anything else you read. That's how you do sales. Yeah, I feel that way about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, too. They should show the <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, um, the other thing that I, I think that movies should do, and I think you're onto something, is they should evoke response and get you thinking, get you to think, and then do your little part to change the world. I think that when we are noticing a problem, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, mm-hmm. that it's not somebody else's job to, you know, be uh I guess an agent of change, if you want to call it that the guys in the park bench, two different guys, two different real, two different worlds, but at the same time, they both suffer from the same problem. But uh, you know, the radio guy is, is more down to earth because he, he, he figured out that the difference between the what and who you are. Right. And then he's mentoring the guy who's got it all to yeah. tell him that that's not who you are. That's right. what right. you are. So right. That's right. That, that, that is I love just, that line. That's that great. That is just a, a great way to, you know, end this conversation at this particular time. Yeah. Because we covered everything that you're doing. Good. The new movie is available. You have a website, yes. motthavenfilm.com. Right. And, you know, people should just go and enjoy and discover and contact you if they have any questions. Sure. And, sure. you know, um, 
want to also plug your recycling business while we, while we have you here, might as well do it. Uh, I'll mention it. I'm very proud of it. Um, it, it this the conversation circles back to the beginning because after my experiences with Jake Cutter and I was looking for a job, not one, not a job, you know, working for my father, I made a phone call and uh, I contacted a guy and I said, oh, he says, I was working at night. I was working for Kaiser Aluminum. Really dangerous oh, cool. factory. Yeah. yeah. Get c- so cut we, up I'm, really easy. Yeah. I, I get yeah. It. Yeah. They would give you extra $5 in your paycheck if you didn't get lose a finger. <laughs> <laughs> because it, like, let's face it, they know we're all klutzes and are like, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah all right. I get it. Yeah. Totally. So I come home all dirty, filthy. <laughs> my father's getting ready to go to work. He says, what are you doing today? I said, I'm going to go to bed now. You know, I worked all night. He says, no, you got to find a real job. You know, this unloading trucks and working at Kaiser is not, you know, <laughs> a good long term plan. So, um, so I picked up the phone and I called uh, and I called a employment agency and I said, hi, you know, my name is Mike Domino and I'm uh, looking for a job. And, and the guy got all it got all insulted. He goes, I'm not this is not an employment agency. I'm a professional uh, recruiter in the chemicals and plastics uh, sector. And I was like, excuse me, excuse me. I'm sorry. Sorry to have disturbed you. And as I'm putting the phone down, I hear, wait, wait, wait. Do you know anything about plastics? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> Jeff, it got me a job with Mobile Chemical. They just they just bought a company called H. Mulestein and Company. They started out in the rag business, then went to rubber, then went to plastics, traders, scrap traders. Mm. And I went to work for them. And that's where I learned how to do this. And then, you know, left and started my own company in 94. Excellent. So you understand about going from rags to riches. Yes. Yes. And it's a, it's a, it keeps me uh, motivated. This, I, I love it. There's nothing better than, you know, buying something and, and saying, you know, what can we do with this? How can we keep this out of the ocean? How can we keep this from the landfill? Will this make a good coat hanger? Will it make a good flower pot? Let's, let's give it a shot. You know, let's, let's figure out something, you know, instead of just wasting it. Sophia's mission inspires faith, hope, and charity to people living on the autistic spectrum and with disabilities. Sophia's in association with New HD Media creates meaningful opportunities and jobs for those with additional needs. Many of these jobs can be performed from home and are life-changing for neurodivergent and special needs communities. For more information, go to sophianewhd.org. Follow BFA on Facebook at Big Fat America. Zach Martin on Twitter at Zach Martin Rocks. And Zach Martin on Instagram. Wait, Zach is on Instagram? I can guarantee he has no clue how to use that. See all the interviews and videos at ZachMartinRocks.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.